let's open our Bibles once again to the 15th chapter of the book of Matthew as we are making our way just verse by verse through the New Testament. We pick it up where we left off last time. Now, one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible has been inspired by the Spirit of God as opposed to it being a document that is simply written by insightful men is the way that the Scriptures treats its heroes. It presents the heroes of the Bible in a very raw way. It doesn't present them the way that we would naturally present our heroes or present ourselves. If we were writing the story and we were key players in that story, you and I would write in such a way that we would minimize the bad and the ugly and we would embellish whatever good there might be in our life. Now, that's not the way that the scripture uh, presents itself. Let, let's say as we're coming down to the end of the year, you look over your finances and you think, gee, I've, I've done really well this year. I, I think I wanna, I wanna give something back, and so I'm gonna give money to a charity. But you don't wanna throw your money down a rat hole, right? You wanna, you wanna give your money to, to a charity that's gonna use it in a wise way. So you start doing some investigation. And you look up these various websites. You go to the homepage, and there at the top of the homepage of the charity, you know, there will be a, an about us, right, button. All right, so you click that, and you got this drop-down menu, and you know, about our founder, or about our CEO, and so you think, well, hey, what, what's this person all about? So you go down there and you click on that. Now, it's not gonna say to you, you know, our founder from you know, 1998 to 2004 was addicted to you know, pain meds, and finally you know, got cleaned up in 2005, and then was a CEO of a charity from you know, 2007 to 2011, where you know, they, embe they embezzled $100,000, and you know, they're, they're not gonna put that kind of stuff out there, because you know the way that we are. I want you to be with me, I want you to like me, I want you to support me, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put forth this, this great, you know, uh, picture of, of myself. You, you husbands, you remember that act that you put on to win your wife? You remember that stage play, that one man stage play that, you know, she never found out about the bad and the ugly until after the marriage. My wife did not know the bad or the ugly until we were married and I had convinced her she'll go to hell if she divorces me. And so there she was, you know, married to a jerk, go to hell. Married to a jerk, go to hell. Kind of a toss up, really, if you think about it. And, and so we, we always minimize the evil and we just present this picture of ourselves that's not true. That's not what we find in the word of God. We would not have known that Abraham, the father of the faith, was a big fat liar. Unless the Bible told us that. We wouldn't know that Moses was a rebellious, angry guy. But the Bible told us that. We wouldn't have known that David was a womanizer. Unless the Bible told us that. We wouldn't know that Jonah was a jerk had not the Bible told us. So the word of God always presents its heroes in a real way. And this is so true as we're making our way through the gospels and we're dealing with these 12 apostles. We have built them up in such a way that we just think that somehow they live these perfect lives that somehow these guys were not normal guys. 
Well, it is going to become very clear these guys are very normal, they are very flawed, and that God is in the business of using flawed human beings to build his kingdom. And we're going to be looking specifically today at the Apostle Peter. Now, you remember that the context of where we find ourselves is that the scribes of the Pharisees, they've come to Christ, and they've said, your disciples do not eat food with washed hands. And they made a great big deal out of making sure that everybody would wash their hands in this certain ceremonial way. And Christ, you remember, he fired back and he said, look, this does not have anything to do with spirituality. It doesn't matter how dirty your hands are when you eat. It doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on your relationship with God. Now, there, there might be some physical health problems that arise with being a filthy individual. But when it comes to spirituality, whether you eat with clean hands, whether you eat with dirty hands, it has no bearing on your relationship with your creator. Now, this was the rub that's being created between Christ and the Jewish leadership, the religious leaders. They put all of the importance upon looking the part, appearing like you're spiritual, appearing like you know God. Everything was on appearance. John Walvert, he puts it this way. He says, the occupation with the outward religious ceremony instead of the inward transformation of the heart has, has all too often attended to all forms of religion and has plagued the church as well as it has Judaism. How many Christians in church history have been executed for difference of opinion on the meaning of the elements of the Lord's Supper? Or the mode of baptism or the failure to bow to church authority? The heart of man, which is so incurably religious, is also incurably evil apart from the grace of God. So Jesus, now Jesus has come promoting the love of God, the grace of God. And it is run right up against the religious standard of the day, which is just simply look the part. And it continues today. I mean, how many of us, you pull into that church parking lot, you put on the cheesy church smile, and you come into this place, and you act like, you're, you know, you're some saint, and you got no problems in your life. This is what Jesus was battling against. God knows your heart. God sees your heart. God sees my heart. And this is what God is desperately interested in. And he has the power today to transform your heart if you will but give him a chance and surrender uh, to his will. Now you remember that the backstory of all of this is we've got these 12 guys and these 12 guys have been locked in a heated debate. And this debate is going to be following them all the way to the night of his betrayal where they're going to be debating among themselves as to which of them would be the greatest. Because Jesus has not only promised us the kingdom, he's not only promised us eternal life, but he has also provided for us a way in which we can be great in heaven. Right? You not only want to go to heaven, 
Don't you want to be great in heaven? And Jesus was constantly talking about great is going to be a reward. So these guys are locked on that idea of being great. Which of the 12 of us is going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? And so there's this constant competition that is brewing in between uh, the 12. And they're always looking for an opportunity to impress the boss. Now, Peter, as he's listening to Christ, now Christ has said, now guys, now listen. It doesn't have anything to do with eating with unwashed hands. It doesn't have anything to do with whether, you know, you're, you're great in, in heaven, right? You, you eat the food. It goes through the digestive process. It ends up in the septic tank, and that's that, all right? It doesn't have anything to do with spirituality at all. Well, Peter, as he's listening to this, thinks, okay, here is an opportunity to really shine. So notice now, as Peter jumps in, here, here's Christ going back and forth with these religious leaders. Notice in verse 15 that, Jesus, that Peter answered and said to him, this would be Jesus, explain this parable to us. Now, this is not a parable, right? Jesus was very clear. You eat the sandwich it goes through the digestive processes. It doesn't have anything to do with spirituality. So Peter is thinking, aha, this is a parable. And so, Lord, tell us now what this parable means. Now, I'm sure that Peter was expecting Jesus to turn to the 11 and say, now, see, guys, this is a curiosity I am looking for. Well done, Peter. A plus yet again as you are inching ever closer to be designated the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure that's what he thought was coming. But notice how Jesus responds, and you can see Christ kind of rubbing his forehead here. And so Jesus answered, verse 16, are you still without understanding. Now mark that phrase, without understanding. It means unintelligent, even stupid. All right, now I know that you moms constantly drill into the heads of your children, oh honey, don't say people are stupid. But can we admit to ourselves that there are people who are stupid, right? And, and so here is Peter thinking that he is shining, right, before the Lord. And he's like, yay, are, you know, what did he say in verse 10? He called the multitude to himself. And he said, now, I want you to listen, and I want you to understand. This is what he wants. He wants us to listen to him, and he wants us to understand. Now, here is one of the inner circle. They're not understanding. Now, again, we are well within a year of the crucifixion. In less than a year, Christ is going to ascend to the Father, and he's turning this operation over to these guys. Now, what he does in this final year is that he is pouring himself into the 12. This is all about the teaching of the 12. And he is looking at this, and he realizes we are miles uh, from the goal. And I got to get these guys up to speed. I got to get these guys ready. And so here is one of his own not understanding a very basic thing that he has just gone through. So Christ is saying, all right. 
Let me go through this one more time. All right, this is not rocket science. It doesn't take a high IQ, Peter, to get this. Now listen to what I am saying. Verse 17. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth, it goes into the stomach and it is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth, it's not what is going in that is your problem. It is what is coming out. This is the problem. That what comes out of the mouth, it comes from the heart. And they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Now notice, it's not your environment. Your environment is not what makes you an evil person. It is your stinking heart that needs to be changed by the power of God. We were placed in paradise and we still shot ourselves in our own foot, right? And so he says, it's what comes out of the heart. These evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications and thefts, evil witness and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands, it does not defile a man. So once again, we always want to make it about appearance. I want to look like a churchy person. I want to look like a religious person. I want to go to church. I want to act the part. And that is what this is all about. But biblical Christianity is about a man or a woman encountering the living God, encountering the power of the Spirit of God where he is transforming our heart. William Barclay, he said it this way. He said, here is the clash and the collision. Here is the contest between two kinds of religion and two kinds of worship. To the scribes and the Pharisees, religion was the observance of certain outward rules and regulations and rituals, such as the correct way to wash your hands before eating. It was the strict observance of a legalistic outlook on all life. To Jesus, religion was a thing which had its seat in the heart. That, that it was a thing which issued in compassion and kindness which are above and beyond the law. What God is interested in is are you allowing him a place in your life where he is making you something in, in, into something different. He is transforming us into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have to understand this contention is gonna to continue to increase and it is gonna become so violent that they are gonna take the sinless son of God and when they are done with him, he will look like a lamb that had been slaughtered. You picture a lamb that goes to the butcher and what that butcher is gonna do to that lamb is what these religious leaders are gonna end up being a part of turning the Lord Jesus Christ into. He is gonna hang from that cross naked looking like a chunk of hamburger when they get through with him. And it is all about this contention over whether you're really experiencing a transformation of heart or whether you're just looking like a religious individual. Because what Jesus did here, and Mark, in his telling of the story, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, Mark tells us that what Christ did here was absolutely stunning. Mark said it this way. In saying this, Jesus declared 
all foods clean. What he is saying, it doesn't matter what you eat. And it doesn't matter what the conditions of your hands are when you eat it. What is he doing? He is eliminating the dietary law. He is establishing a new covenant. The old covenant is passing away, and he is establishing a new covenant. Now, we have those in the church today telling you you can't eat bacon, and you got to eat this, and you got to eat that. Well, according to Mark, Mark is saying that Jesus is telling us all food is clean. All food is available for you and I to eat. So what does Christ do now as this intensifies? Notice verse 21. Then Jesus, he went out from there and he departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came, that came from that region, she cried unto him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is Notice, not a little bit possessed. She is severely uh, possessed. Now, again, we've talked about this. Christ, his earthly ministry, went on for about three and a half years. And we can divide that three and a half years into three parts. But the first year or so was known as the year of obscurity. He's kind of operating behind the scenes. He doesn't have these massive crowds. He's not really drawing attention uh, from the political leaders. And then we had that season of his life of great popularity. Political leaders are hearing about him like Herod. Uh, we've got these massive crowds. Tens of thousands of people are being gathered around. He's going in into communities where the entire communities are being affected uh, by the power of God. Now, as we have made our way into chapter 15, we are now probably in, into this final year, probably two months into this final year of, of opposition. And of course, it's going to end uh, with him being crucified. Now, during that time of obscurity, he's in Galilee, he's in Judea, he's in Samaria, he's all over the place. Now, during the time of popularity, he's in the region of Galilee. And uh, much of, of these massive uh, outreaches that are taking place are taking place around the Sea of Galilee. Now, during this time of opposition, he's in places like Tyre and Sidon. He is outside. Now, this is the first time that we know of that he, he left Jewish territory and he is now in non-Jewish lands. Eventually, he's going to end up in Perea. Uh, which, which is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And from Perea then, he's going to travel down to Jerusalem and that's where he's going to be crucified. Now you look at a map of Israel, you've got Galilee in the north and you've got Judea in the south. Now Tyre and Sidon would be northwest of Galilee, about anywhere between you know, 30, uh, 50 miles, depending upon where Jesus left Galilee uh, from. This would be in the land that we would know today as Lebanon. So he's not in Israel. He's in the land of Lebanon. He's going to end up in Perea, which is modern-day Jordan. So this is a picture. He's come to his own, as John tells us, and his own received him not. And so what does he do? He turns from his own, and he now turns to another. This is a picture now of the beginning of the church. Israel as a nation has rejected him. And so now he's turning his attention to the non-Jewish world. Thank God for that. Now he crosses over into this territory. You have to understand this is a very dark, this is a very pagan place. This is a place uh, where morality 
uh, really does not exist. Uh, they, they worship in this Syrophoenician area. They worshiped a goddess by the name of, of Anath. And uh, Anath was an interesting goddess, uh, female. She was the goddess of fertility, and she was also the goddess of war. And you see this a lot in the world where they take violence and they connect it with sexuality. That's what this God was all about. In these little idols that we have discovered, she has these exaggerated uh, sexual characteristics. It was a culture, it was a religious culture that produced this concept of just, you know, love the one you're with. It doesn't matter who or what uh, you use to express your sexuality. Uh, it's, it's, it's all good and it's all blessed uh, by this goddess. And where it turns very dark is because when you've got this kind of a culture, where our culture is certainly gravitating towards, where just anything goes, well, you're gonna end up with unwanted pregnancies. So what do you do with the unwanted pregnancies? Well, you just, you just kill them. You, just, you sacrifice these babies uh, to this God, and there's no higher form of worship. I mean, if you're really devoted to God and you sacrifice your own baby, that kind of proves uh, your devotion. And we're doing uh, the very same thing. As our culture becomes uh, a looser culture, we have all these unwanted pregnancies. Now, we are not ending the pregnancies, uh, worshiping the, these gods, other than worshiping our own convenience and our own happiness. Uh, we are destroying life. And so this woman now is coming to Christ, and maybe she's blaming herself. I mean, maybe she has opened her own household because of her occultic practices. Maybe her children, as sometimes the, the, the behavior of parents will affect the children, and maybe she's just kicking herself. Maybe she's beating herself up. Look at, look at this terrible thing. My daughter is being destroyed. And so now these men that she believes possess the ability to heal her child have come into this territory. How desperate would you be how intense would you be if you have done, done something that has introduced something to your family, your family is being destroyed, and now somebody has shown up on the scene that can fix all of that? How intense would you be? And so she, with great intensity now, says, I need help. Here's a mother with a child that is being destroyed. She's not asking for anything that any of us wouldn't have asked Christ for. She's not sinning, but notice now how the Son of God responds to all of this. It's very curious, isn't it? Notice in verse 23, but he, he answered her not a word. And his disciples, well, they came and they urged him saying, send her away, for she cries out, after us. Now, initial response to this is, well, that's weird. I mean, it's kind of jerky, right? I mean, it's some woman with a, a good request. I mean, she's not asking to win the lottery, right? She's, she's asking something for a hurting child. And Jesus gives her the silent treatment. Now, this is a wonderful lesson for you and I, because I know that you and I, we can go through some deep water. We can go through some hard seasons of life, and we're praying, and we want God to show himself strong on our behalf. And, and if you've been a follower of Christ for a long period of time, you've, you've probably have experienced this as I have, where heaven is silent. And it seems to us that, well, maybe God, maybe God doesn't love me. 
Maybe God doesn't care about me. He, he cares for other people. He answers other people's prayer, but he's not answering mine. We should never interpret the silence of heaven as if somehow God doesn't care or somehow we've committed the unforgivable sin and we're not really Christians uh, in the first place. You see, the Lord knows what he's going to do in the life of this woman. We read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, that known unto God are all of his works from the beginning of the world. He has known from all time what he was going to do. He knows he's going to heal this kid. He knows he's going to bless this woman. We have to remember the context of all of this. We are in that season of the ministry of Christ where it is all about the 12. It is all about the training of the 12. And where are the 12 in all of this? The 12 are where a lot of guys are in ministry. You ever met an elder? You ever met a pastor that really doesn't care about people? Well, that is exactly where these 12 are. How many times have we read these guys saying, send them away, get rid of all of these people. We, we just wanna hang out with you. We want to be left alone. The 12 want to be left alone. Jesus wants them to care. And when you come across a, a spiritual leader that doesn't care about people, and I have met them, I can guarantee you, you are dealing with a person that has never learned the lesson that Jesus wants them to learn. Jesus wants his representatives to care. And if you are a follower of Christ, you are a representative of Christ. And he wants you to care. Uh, look, I know, people get on your nerves. I know that you just want people to go away and leave you alone. But that is not the heart of Christ. Christ looks at your worst enemy and he loves them. Now these guys say to him, send her away for she cries unto us. That Greek word is krazo, think of crazy. And it means screaming, right? There, there is intensity. This is a woman that wants an answer to her prayer. And again, this is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. She wants her child to be normal. She wants her child to be touched by the power of God. So Jesus now steps in and he demonstrates for these leaders how he interacts with her. And this is fascinating, verse 24. But he answered. And he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was sent to the Lord's chosen people. He came to his own. And then she came and she worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. And I, I wonder, what, what, what did that sound like? What kind of emotion was behind that, Lord, help me, help me. What kind of voice inflection was there? I mean, this is raw, help me. But he answered and he said, it's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the, now notice, it's little dogs. Now, the Jews, they believed that all non-Jews were dogs. Now, the dogs that they thought of, if you've ever, if you've gone on a mission trip, you've gone to a, a third world country, you know, you see these scavengers. I mean, they are filled with parasites. They're just horrible, horrible animals. That's, that's how the Jews referred uh, to these, to these non-Jewish people. 
right? They're, they're just worthless. They're just horrible. Certainly, you, you don't want to touch them. Now, Jesus, though, he uses this term little dog, which is letting us know he's talking about the household pet, right? Like, like some of you, your whole life revolves around that dog. I know some of you. You're, you're sick. You're very sick individuals, right? And, and this is the kind of dog that Jesus is referring to here. Now, she then said, she fires right back, and she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs, little puppy dogs, they eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said unto her, oh, now, the the presence of that, that letter O in front of a woman, it, it speaks of the fact that this is spoken with deep emotion. Christ is speaking to her in, in a very emotional way. O woman, great. This is where we get our word mega. Mega is your faith. It's interesting. There are only two people in the Gospels that their faith impressed Jesus and both of them were non-Jews. We had the centurion from Caesarea earlier that we read about, and now we've got this Syrophoenician woman. And he says, oh woman, mega is your fate. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, what was it that caused Christ to be so impressed with this woman's faith. I think there are two things going on. Notice the first thing that we read there. She was, she was told no. She came to him and said, hey, I, I need you to touch my daughter's life. And she said, look, I, I've come for the Jews. I am come for you. I've, I have been sent to present myself to the Jews. I am a Jewish king. I have been sent to Israel. Right? She's been told no. And what does she do? It's not so much that she worships, but more importantly, when did she worship? You see, you and I, we, we find worship easy when our kids are, are well, when our bank account is well healed, when we're getting everything that we want and everything's going our way. Oh, it's so easy for us to come into the sanctuary of God. And, oh, bless you, Lord. Oh, you're so good. It speaks of another depth of worship when we're able to come into the assembly of the saints, when the wheels are coming off of our life, when we are being told no, when those that we love are dying, when we find that we don't have enough money to, to meet our needs at the end of the month, it's quite another thing when we gather together with less than blessed lives and we still give him worth and we still are expressing worship so she's told no i haven't come for you but she still worships and then she accepts the lord's assessment of who she was you you don't have the right papers you don't have the right pedigree. You're not, you're not AKC, all right? You're, you're, just, you're just kind of a mutt here. And notice that she accepts that. She accepts God's assessment of who she was. Now, you have to remember that in that culture, they did not eat uh, with silverware. You go, you go to some countries today, you, you go to India today, you know, in the cities and in restaurants, they'll, they'll give you silverware, but you get out into the villages and everybody just eats with, with their hands. It's kind of crazy to watch. And that's how they did it in the, the day of Christ. So a family would be eating out of their bowl with their hand. And then at the end of the meal, they take a little piece of pita bread 
And they, would, they didn't have napkins, and so they'd use the pita bread uh, for a napkin. And then they would kind of ball up the pita bread when they're done, and they would feed it to the, the family uh, puppy. Right? And this is what the woman uh, is referring to, that even, even in the master's house, crumbs are falling down. You, you, you have such great provision that you even provide for a puppy. Yeah, you want to call me a puppy dog? Fine, I'm a puppy dog. And I'll, I'll take whatever it is uh, that you're giving me. And so there was a humbleness there. There was a willingness to worship. There was a willingness to accept what he was saying. Now, this is what we have to understand, that Christ has crossed over the border. I am so thankful that God has cro crossed over the border into my life. I'm so thankful that he was willing to leave that deeply religious environment of, of ancient Israel. And he stepped into my world. He stepped into my stupid, redneck, hillbilly family. He stepped into all of that. And he delivered me by his grace and his mercy. And those of you who have been the followers of Christ, I'm sure you would agree that you have witnessed him stepping over into the boundary of your life. Look, there are only two camps. There are those who are with the Lord and there are those who are among the damned. There are only two camps. And there is a sharp line of demarcation that separates those two. But here is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He steps over that line of demarcation. And he says, whosoever will, let them come unto me and live. Have you received the forgiveness of God? Have you received the forgiveness of your sins? Look, this is what I want you to understand. You need to be forgiven. You want to be forgiven. And in Psalm 86, we are told God is good and he is ready to forgive. Do you understand? God is ready to forgive you. You need to be forgiven. You want to be forgiven. So what is the problem? You want to be forgiven, you need to be forgiven, and he wants to forgive. Now, I don't know what excuse is keeping you back from saying yes to the Lord, but whatever excuse it is, you will eventually look back at that excuse and realize it was the dumbest thing that you ever believed. Don't let anything hold you back from receiving the forgiveness that God wants to give you today. If you know that you're not forgiven, you want to be forgiven, let's just deal with it right now. And I know what I ask you to do. I know, I know it's a difficult thing. But you have to understand, we're all family here. And all of us in here, most of us in here, have done one form or this uh, uh, or another. All the Lord is asking for you to do is just turn to him and say yes. You receive him to as many as receive him. To them gave he the legal authority to be called the sons and daughters of God. Those of us who are the sons and daughters of God are that. Not because we are at church every time the doors are open. Not because we have given great treasure to the church. We are the sons and daughters of God because we said yes to Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity to say yes to him today and to receive the forgiveness of sin. Do you want to be forgiven? I simply ask that you raise your hand. 
and I'm going to pray for you this morning. Is there anybody here? What's your name? George? Welcome home, George. We're going to pray for you. Is there anybody else? You want to say yes to the Lord. Today is a day of salvation. Call upon him and you shall be saved. Anybody else? Let's pray for our new brother. Father, we thank you that you have brought George here today to hear the glorious truth that you are love and that there is a way in which he can leave this place forgiven of God. And I would ask that even now your Holy Spirit would set up residency in his heart, that his body would become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that this young man who now has so many years of his life yet to live can be years spent living for you. Lord, I pray that you would fill his heart for the vision that you have for his life. I pray that you would fill his understanding with the knowledge on how he might be kept pure, how he might be kept usable for your glory. I pray that you would bring uh, older brothers and sisters across his path to keep him and to grow him, to mentor him. And I would ask, Father, that as he leaves this place, he would understand all of his sin, all of his iniquity, past, present, and future was dealt with at the cross of Christ. And Father, may he leave this place understanding that his future is as bright as the promises of God. Oh, bless our brother now, for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you remember on the night of the Lord's betrayal that he said to the 11, he took that piece of bread, you remember, and he said, this now is my body, ripped and shredded for you. This is my body that is about ready to be turned into hamburger has happened for you. This piece of bread is the greatest demonstration of the love of God. God does not prove his love to you by healing you of everything that you got wrong, by filling your bank account with lots of money. This is the only true evidence that God loved us, that in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son to be the sacrifice. And it was done for you. It was done for you. Oh, how God loves you. He loves you. Do not leave this place thinking somehow you're less, that somehow God is overlooking you. You are precious in his sight. Let's take this bread and let's be reminded of the value that we have before the throne of God as we find ourselves in Jesus Christ this morning. Let's take and let's eat. And then you remember he took, he took the cup and he said, this now is the new covenant. This is the new contract that God has made with us. This is not our deal that we've made with him. This is not our brainchild. This came from God. And the covenant of God that he has given us is that we trust in Jesus Christ. And the result of that is that our, our sin is transferred over to the crucified one. And his righteousness is now transferred over to us. 
and you and I stand before God righteous. We stand before God holy. Do not leave this place feeling dirty, feeling condemned. You are a new creature in Christ. All things have become new. And you stand before the throne righteous and holy because of him. Let's not leave this place feeling dirty. Let's leave this place committed to worshiping the one who has loved us. Let's take, let's drink, and let's rejoice in him. Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for your wonderful mercy. Lord, to think, here we were living these lives of selfishness, living these narcissistic lives of ours, and seemingly out of nowhere, the grace of God appeared one day. Oh, what a day. And now, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to walk worthy of the vocation that we have been called to. Help us to live lives that are dedicated to giving you worth, to expressing our thanks and our praise. Oh, God, how good you've been to us. Father, may a song just reign in our heart all week long. You are seeking those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. And may you find them here in this congregation. Father, help us to worship you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>